when I am not reacting yeah. to this situation where someone else is trying to make me who they want me to be. Like, yeah. who am I when I actually feel free? Hello, dear. This is Raven out on a walk having just some beautiful aha moments. As I've said before, I do not ever wish to villainize a human being who has experienced trauma and then chosen the dark path. I was watching Harry Potter last night, The Order of the Phoenix, and Sirius Black quoted, I, I just feel so angry all the time. And what if after everything that I've been through, something's gone wrong inside me? What if I'm becoming bad? I want you to listen to me very carefully, Harry. You're not a bad person. You're a very good person who bad things have happened to. You understand? Besides, the world isn't split into good people and death eaters. We've all got both light and dark inside us. What matters is the part we choose to act on. That's who we really are. We have the choice to choose the path of dark or light. Welcome to the Empath and the Narcissist podcast, where you regain your sparkle back after narcissistic abuse. This is episode 99, How to Stop Chasing the Narcissist in Circles with Becca Ribbing. As a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. It is not a substitute for professional therapy. If you are enjoying this podcast, subscribe and leave a rate and review. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you think you might be feeling depressed, stressed, anxious, or overwhelmed, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. It allows you to talk to your therapist in a private online environment at your convenience. With a broad range of expertise in BetterHelp's 20,000 plus therapist network, it will give you access to help that you need that may not be available in your area. Finding a therapist is easy. You just fill out the questionnaire to help assess your specific needs, and then you get matched with the therapist in under 48 hours. Everything you share is completely confidential. In therapy, join the 3 million plus people who have taken charge of their mental health with an experienced BetterHelp therapist. Get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com forward slash empath. That's betterhelp.com forward slash E-M-P-A-T-H in the link in the show notes. And I thought, that is it. That is empath and the narcissist. That is it. We all have empath, empathic abilities within us if it's covered and shrouded and you feel like you're not an empath because you're not this magical psychic or if you have too much empathy and you feel like a psychic and you're hearing things and seeing things that are not in this realm and we all have narcissism within us it's natural and beautiful in our development as a child but were we able to be coached through our emotions and mature out of that stuck dark path of narcissistic 
tendencies. And I think a lot of you may be experiencing an extremely toxic person like myself. And I had a huge aha moment during an, an experience that I had recently. The long and short of it, I was supposed to go to a family gathering. It didn't happen because one of my kiddos got sick. I am sorely sorry for my child who was sick, but in my deep down depths, I was relieved because this was going to be tumultuous and it was going to be anxiety ridden. And I was already having meltdowns leading up to it and hoping that I wouldn't regress emotionally after encountering these false masks of everything's perfect, nothing's wrong, the hugs and the smiles and the I love you and the light chit chat. When I know deep down inside, they're very angry at me. They're being very petty and gossiping about me behind my back or just holding resentment. And so I felt relief. I'm guilty. <laughs> I felt relief that we didn't have to go. I really was missing out on the beautiful celebration that the family gathering was bringing, but I know that I can, in a healthy way, still celebrate with them taking them out to dinner and bringing them their present. So one person who I have called out on my podcast, I guess, as I'm learning and healing and processing, because I am in the trenches with you. I am not arrived. I have not achieved spiritual enlightenment or know exactly what's going on. And so in my processing, I said my parents are narcissists or narcissistic or just trying to figure it out. And that's part of the big contention is my father took offense and didn't know how to deal with me. I don't know how to move forward, he says, you know. All I do is try and you just don't listen. And I thought, that's ironic, exactly what I feel. <laughs> it's like a mirror, which my guide, recently deceased grandmother guide, expressed to me. It's a mirror. You are a mirror with the one you are in conflict with. And so I received no check-ins, no texts about, is my daughter okay? Except for the one person who I seem to have called out on the podcast, my mother, she checked in. She said that she was looking forward to seeing us and she's so sorry she's sick. And that meant a lot. And it also brought clarity. So I apologize for calling her a narcissist. I think that she's stuck in a very complicated web of agendas and it's just part of our journeys to grow up and stand up for our beliefs and our desires and do you stand with your man or do you stand with your child which one you know we all have the light path to choose and the dark path and the light path isn't always easy and so it's interesting just to note that all of the signs when you sit back and you draw your boundaries and you become stoic, you become emotionally detached, and you just kind of draw the line in the sand, or even circumstances lend themselves to draw the line in the sand for you, the actions will show you clarity on who truly has the heart of intention of wanting to connect with you and who doesn't, which was very apparent to me. My father and my sister both did not say a one word. No peep, no call, no text no check-in. So through these non-actions is your answer. And Mel Robbins puts it really well. There are three things that you need to come to terms with in life. Number one, if they wanted to, they would. Number two, no response is a response. 
And number three, not everybody has the same values, the same goals, or the same heart that you do. And when you shift from these insecure feelings of this maiden that we talked about in episode 96, how is narcissism related to patriarchy, the journey from maiden to mother with Sarah Durham Wilson? Into being your own mother, that is for me, that was a game changer. I would have been in a panic. I would have been crying. I would have been so upset. My FOMO in the past when these things have happened, when I couldn't go, they brought me to a state of like 100% anxiety and meltdowns and being upset that I'm being left out, that if I wasn't present, I would not be validated and part of the family and I wouldn't be loved. Outside family units and that fake charade of defining my love and my value of myself. And when I switched over to the mother, I released all that. I had zero FOMO, you guys. I did not care if anyone reached out to me because I didn't assume they would. I stopped banging on that old Rickney Shack general store who was never selling. I'm sorry, I have sympathy for you. I hold your sensitivities. I do not judge your sensitivities. You know, I want to spend time with you. I stopped banging on that door and I went within myself and I got that love and acceptance and security from myself. And you can too. So today's interesting conversation with the self-proclaimed golden child. She recognizes she's on the easy end of the toxic parental relationship. And Becca Ribbing is a blessing to have a conversation with because we also cannot villainize the golden child. This is all just part of our learning process that we are all light we all have the same light source within us and what we perceive in our experience in life is our own unique experience becca ribbing is the author of the clarity journal and has been a coach for over a decade she's on a mission to help people break out of the cycles of uncertainty and struggle that hold them back she helps women going back and forth with big seamlessly endless questions of what to do next so they can stop going around in circles and finally figure out what they truly want and create the clarity and momentum they crave. So many people find themselves stuck and unsure of their direction. Using journaling prompts and helping people become more honest with themselves, she moves her readers forward gently and empowers them to embrace their strengths while letting go of any negative self-talk that has held them back in the past. So without further ado, I introduce you to Becca Ribbing and let's get into this conversation. We are back with another episode with another amazing guest, Becca Ribbing. Hello, Becca. How are you? Good. How are you doing today? Doing really well. Uh, Yeah, been a really fun day so far. I'm excited to dive into this topic with you about how to stop chasing the narcissist for love in circles. (laughs) it's a big topic (laughs) (laughs) I know we can go on and on but yeah I I love how you specialize in like helping us identify patterns helping us get unstuck so that we can stop chasing what we don't wish to be chasing right well and honestly when you're stuck 
dealing with a narcissist that you can't just get away from, you end up in cycles. I mean, it's like one of the quintessential ways in which one can end up in cycles that they struggle to break free from. Yeah. And they do it so well. And, you know, it's their programming versus our programming and it just fits so well together. So let's just keep going this merry-go-round for... Right. Forever. (laughs) (laughs) Forever, because you're my soulmate. I know, right? They're really not. So I wanted to ask you, what is your background with narcissistic abuse? Have you encountered one? So I have definitely encountered it. I have encountered it with a relative, and that's actually a very recent discovery of mine. Mm-hmm. So I probably won't Similar talk to me. too in-depth about that particular relationship because there's yeah. a lot going on with it. <laughs> but yeah. and, and it's honestly not my abuse. Like, it's somebody in my family that I know, and I have realized that I was the golden child and my a family member was the person that is being abused. And it took me a really long time. Well, it took everyone. Like it, it didn't take me a very long time once it got pointed out to me, but it, it, it took, took a while for it to be pointed out. <laughs> it, it took it a, a long time for it to be pointed out. And honestly, like when you're dealing with a narcissist, you make excuses. Like I really spent a lot of time assuming that maybe they were autistic or maybe uh, like other things were going on. And cause because they definitely have mental health challenges of their own. And like, I wouldn't, I think sometimes when we talk about, well, I don't specialize in the field of narcissists. So I feel like when I think of a narcissist, I think of someone who's getting something out of it. But honestly, I don't think this particular person is getting anything good out of it. They just can't help themselves and nor are they interested in doing the heavy lifting of the emotional labor of figuring out how to create really healthy, open relationships. That's the tragedy I think I'm finding more and more is that it's so unconscious. A lot of people demonize them like, oh, well, they're doing it on purpose. Yes, there are a few sociopaths and malignants, but most of them you're going to experience are doing it unconsciously. That's part of just how their survival mechanism works, how their emotional intelligence, like what level they're at. And then the really sad part is like, well, it is what it is. I don't know how to fix it or they just don't want to put in the work to fix it. And that's where I feel like the the grief and the sadness comes in. Not the actual, but like the unwillingness to change. Well, and I think, uh, so I was reading over the summer, um, adult children of emotionally immature parents. Mm. And I don't know whether you've read that one. It's a good Um, book. Need to read that one. (laughs) It's a really good book, but I think the thing that really helped me with it is it almost doesn't matter what the label is. Like, are they a narcissist? Are they whatever? It's that they are extremely emotionally immature and I am trying to engage with them and connect with them on a level of emotional maturity. And so it feels like there must be a deeper part of them that I, that I just, if I just figure out the right way, I'll finally be able to access that. And the book was really helpful in, nope, you're not going to be able to access it. It's actually not there. And I think that honestly, anyone who's listening to this podcast is probably 
you know, dealing with that, like a person who's listening to this podcast is themselves by definition, emotionally aware, (laughs) you know, they've done the work, they're interested in doing the work, they are here listening to this. And I think for uh, those of us that are willing to do the emotional work, it's really baffling to like, to butt up against like, oh, that depth is just not there here. And probably because of a self-protection mechanism, like at least in my case, like I know that there was a great deal of trauma and for the, for the person that is the narcissist and like, but instead of channeling that trauma, you know, way a lot of us do and like trying to help others, it's all, it's, it's so traumatic that they had to go so deeply into self-protection. Yeah. Yeah. Like even just thinking about it, talking about it is, threatening to their existence and they don't want to feel that. So don't even go there. Right. Yeah. Right. It's really, really difficult. Yeah. But then we get into our own cycle dealing with it. Hey, empaths. Wanted to take a break and ask if these phrases sound familiar to you. I didn't say that. You're too sensitive. No one will ever believe you. If these phrases are familiar, then you may be dealing with a narcissist. Then my book, Empath and the Narcissist is for you. How to overcome narcissistic abuse and recover from PTSD, codependency, gaslighting, and manipulation. Receive another bonus in this book. The free Four Ways to Set Powerful Boundaries workshop is included in this book if you wish to feel alive again and take back the power in your life. Then go to www.ravenscott.show forward slash empath and the narcissist. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, I it's think that unavoidable. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, I don't know, my experience of being the golden child is also like kind of interesting because it's like, oh, I, because I was getting praise, I thought I was good. And that's actually not like the praise was meaningless. Mm -hmm. there's a means to an end of the praise right well or just or it actually had nothing to do with me it had to do with the narcissist's opinion of themselves and how I was showing up in their world whether they agreed or disagreed but it actually didn't have to do with me because a lot of times the praise was like ah that's not me like it it didn't resonate because it wasn't it was about them (laughs) Okay, so they would praise you for things that you didn't quite do or didn't feel like you were, and you're like, uh, thanks. I okay. Think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I'd be like, oh, interesting. Thanks. Like, I didn't realize that as a kid, but like yeah. now as an adult, when they're praising me for like adult things, like they'll be praising me for like things or surrounding my children. And I'm like, that's not really what just happened but okay or if they're talking about the scapegoat it's like that's like it's like a lot of times the praise will actually come in response to Mm. saying something about the scapegoat and it's like Mm -hmm. oh Mm. this is literally it's so manipulative Mm. (laughs) oh gosh I love to hear this perspective. I appreciate you sharing this because 
yeah, maybe some of you listeners are the golden child or the scapegoat and you hate the golden child. It's like, well, okay, that's also not their fault either, right? They just, the manipulation was poured on so thick. They've pinned you guys against each other. Well, and I think for... For me and the person that is the scapegoat, I think it was really helpful that I've already done a lot of work. And so even mm-hmm. though I hadn't recognized them as narcissist, like literally as almost as soon as it was pointed out that they at least have narcissistic tendencies, like I pushed back and was like, no, no, I think it's autism. And because it's easy to think it's autism if it's, if you're not the one who's being the scapegoat, <laughs> like, I'm not saying all autistic people are narcissists or anything. I'm just saying that like how yeah, I was processing. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think what was really interesting to me is that like I, it was pointed out to me, I started pushing back on them and they mm-hmm. freaked out and got off the phone and mm-hmm. like literally Ten, I actually pulled the car over to send a text to the person because I was on the phone driving when I was talking to them. And I was like, hey, you know what? It's super valid that you feel like they are narcissist, that they are a narcissist. And if they are, then I am obviously the golden child. And that's why I can't see it because it's not how I see our relationship because I am not seeing what you are seeing. And mm. I think that that was really healing to the person that was the scapegoat to have someone like so quickly recognize like, Hey, processing this so differently than you are. And I'm really sorry. Like I felt Mm -hmm. really bad because at a certain level then I'm contributing to the abuse by denying their experience. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and I'm sorry for everyone listening to this because I am guessing that most golden children are not able to see it. (laughs) but I think that me being able to articulate it may help some of your listeners to be able to articulate it to the golden child to explain what's going on. Unless the golden child, I mean, also a lot of times golden children become narcissists themselves. So it just depends on the emotional intelligence of whom you're speaking to. Exactly. So, I mean, some people are just never going to have that breakthrough, but yeah. 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 And then that's where all of our different uh, uh, practices and boundaries get to come up to play to protect our hearts. Yeah. Right. Well, and just recognize they actually can't, because at a certain level, I, I explained this to the person that was being abused. It's like, at a certain level, I see them as autistic. You see them as narcissistic, but it really doesn't actually matter what the label is if they are not interested in fixing pain they are causing, because I know plenty of autistic people who, you know, when you call them out on something like, Oh, that hurt my feelings. And the autistic person will be like, Oh, I didn't even, it, that's just not how my brain processes. And then you can have a discussion about it and like, you can come to like a healing moment, but that's kind of the difference between someone who is able and willing to care about other people's emotions and quite frankly a narcissist who just is never going to be able and willing to care about other people's emotions mm-hmm. yeah spot on absolutely it doesn't matter what the label is yeah right. if they're not willing to put in the work they're not willing to put in the work 
you got to just focus on what you can control and you do what you do. And I'm sure this has, you know, brought you closer to your yeah. relationship as well. Yeah. So things, things happen for a reason. Well, and I think so. I mean, it has brought us closer. We were pretty close before, but I think what it has done is that person is now separating from family members that have hurt them. And, you know, they would have had to separate from me as well if I just kept spouting off. They're not a narcissist, you know, (laughs) like you're, you're, I mean, a lot of times people will be like, you're hallucinating or like, this isn't real. Like you're making stuff up or whatever. You're being too sensitive. You're being too sensitive. (laughs) And it's like, well, you know what? No one deserves to be picked on. So it doesn't even matter to me whether that person's a narcissist. If you're picking on someone, that is not a healthy relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so... That's so good that you can see that. And that brings hope to all us listeners that it's possible that there can be those. But yeah, not always the case. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to ask you about your clarity journal and what brought about this work. You're also a coach. So tell us a bit about your story of, you know, what you do in your journal. So the Clarity Journal actually came up. I have been a coach for a long time, and I tend to specialize in helping people figure out career challenges. I am a problem Mm -hmm. solver. I love helping people fix things. So if you got pigeonholed in a career, or if you wanted to make a shift from like one industry to another and you're having a hard time making sure it was the right decision or articulating yourself, that's kind of my sweet spot. And... You know, I think I'll back up a little bit and I'm going to say that clarity, we so often think about clarity the way we would have in the 1950s. You know, when we think of careers from a 1950s perspective, you pick one thing, you're there for 40 years, you like get a gold watch, you retire and you go live in Florida. (laughs) And I think we've obviously broken out of that model. However... I think that when we think of clarity, we still think kind of in that same rote trained way of like, if once I get clarity, I will know what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. Once I get clarity, I'm set. Like I know, and that's not really, clarity is a process. Like this whole self-discovery thing is a process. And as you grow and change, that clarity grows and changes. So it is a lifelong endeavor to keep yourself as close to center and clarity as possible. So with that preface, I was in my own swirl of mess. (laughs) I had gotten pregnant. And so with my first child, I was one of those glowy pregnant people. I did yoga the day I delivered my first son. So like I was one of those pregnant people that most pregnant people hate. And I can recognize that now because with my second child, I had an injury in my first trimester and I had to use a cane on and off the whole pregnancy. And it was awful. And then we moved from Washington, D.C. to Seattle, Washington in my third trimester while I'm basically crippled. Like it was an emotional roller coaster. 
And then little kiddo was born and he is adorable, but he has these horrible chronic ear infections for the first year of his life because it took us that long. It took us a long time to figure out what was going on with him. Yeah. But all he wanted to do was be held. But this yeah. child was huge. He was like 10 pounds, six ounces at birth. And he <laughs> grew exponentially from there. And and I'm dealing with an injury that like has taken, you know, it took me about a year to heal that after he was born. I, it was just, it was a nightmare. And I was not at my best. And when you are in that point, you let go of everything that is not absolutely necessary. Like I kept the kid alive. I kept the other kid alive. (laughs) The other kid did get to school on time most days. Like I worked with my clients, but when I, but the funny thing is, is when you're in the middle of one of those like survival situations and I use survival loosely, when you're feeling the fight or flight, the hormone, the stress hormones and stuff, like Obviously, I was not living in Somalia, (laughs) but it's, it's funny because when you're in the middle of it, you know, you're unhappy, but you're running on pure adrenaline and that really helps you get through. Once Mm -hmm. things start calming down, that's when things hit you like a ton of bricks. You're not happy. Like you should be happy. Like what? Like, and, and it feels like you should be happy because things aren't as bad as they used to be. And, you know, and it's like, oh, that's the moment where it's like taking a step back and really figuring yourself out is important, but we very rarely do it ourselves. So what happened was I was trying to figure out why I was so unhappy about work and stuff. I love coaching. Like intellectually, a lot of my questions didn't really make sense. And I had a friend who I was complaining about this for like the hundredth time. And she finally, God love her. It's like, Becca, you're a coach. You're a career coach. What would you tell yourself if a client came to you having this exact problem? And I realized that I wouldn't tell them anything in particular. What I would do is ask a ton of questions. And in the process of asking questions outside of their own rote way of thinking about things, they would start to get the clarity. And so I got off that phone call and I wrote down as many questions as I could think of that I have asked my clients in the past. And as I was doing this, and then I went back and started answering them and just realizing how quickly I was getting clarity because when we are stuck and when we are flooded with cortisol and when we are stressed out and our adrenals are going crazy, we tend to look at problems the same way over and over again. We get obsessed with the problem and we get obsessed with finding a solution. And a lot of times we're not seeing the problem clearly, fully. And so we aren't really engaging with it at a deep intellectual level. We're engaging with it purely on adrenaline and emotion. And so for me, when I was answering these questions, I realized that I had let go of my writing. At the same time, I had been a coach and a mom. I also had in my like free time, whatever that means, (laughs) I had (laughs) also been running a mindfulness website that I had 90 authors writing for me. And Mm -hmm. it was all about, it was called Thank the Now. And it was 
just all about gratitude and mindfulness. And it was really aimed for beginners. And I loved it. I had to let it go. I couldn't manage it. And I was the only one managing it and it wasn't making mm-hmm. money. And, and I realized not so much that it was, I mean, it was sad that I had to let that go. It probably wouldn't have been sustainable until like that child is now eight. So like it probably wouldn't have been sustainable till closer to now. So it's understand. I grieved it. I let it go. But yeah. on the other hand, I also had let go of writing. I mm. had totally like let go of the fact that what I really love to do is write about all these issues and to help engage with people and in that way. And so the Clarity Journal became my first book. <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. I think that's really applicable because I was just thinking through like for those of you listening and you're finally out, you're finally figuring this out, you have resolve, you're not going to, you know, get pulled back into the circle of chasing the narcissist, which we can talk more about how to do that. But just, you know, if you've already accomplished that, then like now what, right? Like, cause you've right. let go of everything to appease and be with a narcissist. They've taken over everything. You've left your career. You've stopped your hobbies. You've left friendships. And it's like, it's like a now what scenario exactly, which your journal would help take you through that process. It's like, who am I when I am not reacting to this situation where someone else is trying to make me who they want me to be? Like, who am I when I actually feel free? Yeah. And I remember one day to that same thought, my therapist saying to me, now you get to choose, you know, not because I left, I cut off contact from everything and everybody. Like I literally like ditched my life. Like I had this Mm -hmm. weird, like, you know, almost like if you were in a witness protection (laughs) program, it's like everything's totally disconnected. And she said, now you get to choose like what was in your life before, what you want to keep and what you wanted to let go. And I was like, oh my gosh, I get to do that. She's like, yeah, you get to do that. You get to do that. Yeah. Just like you sitting down with your journal, you get to decide. What do you want to start back up? What do you want to keep? What do you want to let go? Right. And you maybe end up being surprised about what you want to let go. I think I'll touch back on that, that point I had made earlier where I don't know how much it deepened my relationship with this person, because as I said, I, I had a pretty good relationship relationship with them already, mm. but it enabled me to hold on to that relationship. And I think that they probably would have ended up being at the breaking point with me too. And mm. I think that those moments are the surprising. It's like, it's, it's fairly easy once you know what a narcissist is to let go of the well, I don't know whether it's easy to let go of the narcissist. I'm sure lots of people are struggling with that, but it's easier to know you have to, you know, it's like, it's black and white. What may not be black and white is holding on to relationships with other people that, you know, have so seen you treated poorly and haven't stood up for you. And then how, like, does this person add anything to my life? Like, are they subtly continuing the abuse because they're not really comfortable with me being me? And I think that that is probably, if I was 
I mean, since I am empathetic and can like kind of put myself in someone else's situation, like that's the hard part is like really figuring out, okay, that, okay, now what? And that, and Mm. now what encompasses so much. It encompasses, as you said, you might've let go of hobbies that you loved, or you might've done them covertly, or maybe something that you really should be doing professionally, you turned into a hobby because yeah, writing's a great example, right? How many of us, mm-hmm. like, we're told by a teacher or a parent that we weren't good writers, and then all of a sudden we're not good writers, and we stifle our voice. Um, yeah, and it happens to a lot of people, and so it's like that, like, balancing act of figuring out really where you are comfortable within your own body and within your own soul. Hmm. And that only takes um, time, right? And mm-hmm. let's dive into like how we can get unstuck from chasing the narcissist in a circle or chasing the love that will never be reciprocated properly. <sighs> that one's tough, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, that's kind of, if you could bottle that up, that would be a billion dollar business. I think that the way you stop that cycle is to brutally aware of it and aware of how it's making you feel. And I think that that is, you know, and and I can't, because I can't really speak from my own experience exactly. I can only really speak from other people's, like me seeing other people's experiences. Right. Like I will say that like, what was the breaking point for my family member was that them realizing just how much it was messing with their own head and making them feel bad. And then how do they show up for their own kid if they're feeling bad? And I, I mean, I think that at a very real level, how you stop chasing the narcissist is self-love and also really placing a massively high priority on your happiness And that your happiness really is, I mean, assuming you're doing the basics, like you're, you're feeding your kids and you're not being a narcissist to your children, (laughs) like, like, you know, your happiness is paramount. Like, even Mm -hmm. if you do kids, because you're not going to do your kids any favors if you're not happy, like at a certain level, like it's very trite to say, put on your own, your own gas mask first. And yet there's a reason why we say it over and over and over again. Like you have yeah. to put on your own gas mask first. And so it's, it's self-love, self-compassion. You get sucked in, you like, like maybe have a little bit of a sense of humor about it instead of like getting really mad at yourself, be like, ha, ah, look at me. I just followed that pattern. Like, I'm just going to like, I'm going to remind myself to stop and maybe I need to walk away. And isn't it going to be amusing if I walk away and they implode? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. On the other, on the other side of the abyss, it is kind of comical and you do find yourself laughing at yourself or if you're, you know, chatting with someone who knew you when you first came out, you know, and they see you on the far end. It is. You just, you have to, because that's just the comic relief in life. Yeah. yeah. But it's all yeah, about I self-awareness. Self-love. 
Yeah. And self-love. I mean, it's easier to be self-aware when you have self-love because when you don't have that self-love, yeah. then being self-aware is really painful. And that's honestly what developed the narcissist in the first place, I think, for most of them, is that mm -hmm. that self-love, like we, our egos need to love ourselves and like, but they ended up like being so detached from reality and so like so protective that that's all they could care about but honestly i think sometimes we could take a bit of a lesson from those people because those people really don't care about giving up relationships that don't work for them you know <laughs> like they yeah. really don't and maybe part of this is like learning how to be like so there's narcissist, there's like the DSM definition of a narcissist, but there's also right. the narcissistic scale and people that have no narcissism tend to also have a lot of mental health issues as well in the opposite end because they're not putting themselves first enough. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I love oh. that. And that is the thing is you're always kind of self-martyring and you're putting everyone's needs before yourself, but if you notice, there are cycles, right? This kind of circle of you put up with it, you put up with it, you serve, serve, serve. You don't really do things for yourself. You keep saying, okay, you're right. I shouldn't do that, whatever, hobby, because it's selfish. Like, you know, what, whatever the narcissist rationale is. So you don't do it, don't do it, don't take care of yourself, all these things. And then you reach a breaking point and you explode because you're, you've just had it. You'll, they'll say something and you'll just be like, Again, like the straw just broke and that's the break of the circle, except it doesn't actually break the circle unless you change a pattern. Then, you know, they love bomb makeup and then you go in the circle again because you're like, oh yeah, I overreacted and you take blame. It's like this just perpetual cycle of self-loathing and lack of any self-love. Right. And... And once we start becoming aware of it, if we can just really hold on to putting ourselves first, because we're the only person that is going to put ourselves first, I think it becomes easier because, and it becomes easier to walk away. Like whether that is to walk away from a specific fight, whether that is walking away from a specific abuse trigger, if what, or whether that's like literally walking away from the relationship. Like I know that yeah. it's really hard to genuinely walk away from a relationship. Um, on the other hand, self-preservation is really a beautiful thing. Like you do need to actually like keep yourself sane and stable and however that looks. And if you're struggling with that, I highly, highly recommend that book that I was talking about at the beginning, The Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents, because mm -hmm. to me, it really, in a way that no other book has, just explained it doesn't matter what their problem is. If they are not actively trying to change that problem, if they are not seeing that as a problem, like you are trying to engage with them on a level that literally isn't there. And so you are frustrating them. You are frustrating yourself and you are doing no good. And I, I feel like that was really freeing for me because, you know, I started being able to figure out what the relationship, like 
do I keep a relationship with this person? What does that relationship look like? And there was months of grief and I wasn't even the scapegoat. So I, I do recognize that this is really hard, but on Mm -hmm. the other hand, like if you're not going to let them go, you have to do the really hard work of figuring out where your boundaries are and how you can stay like really actually happy, how you can be happy and be yourself regardless of them. And I personally think that's not probably possible for someone who's been abusing you. Yeah. 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 I agree. It, it, it would take some intense, you know, Buddhist monk likeness enlightenment to be able to hold space and be in the same room with someone who has just made of, you feel so like pushed down and devalued. And I kind of feel like unless your life goal is to be a Buddhist monk, then what's the purpose? Like that is so painful and such a long process. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the thing that I'm still working on and discovering is that if you can see them with your wall up, right, with your shield of not giving so much you just almost right. are like an observant of this person let's say it's christmas and it's like the one time you see them in the year just right. be that bird that bird's eye view and have a very more distant observation of them and what i found right. and, and seeing them as that child you know that has been hurt or traumatized because that's typically where all this emotional stuckness and unintelligence comes from you're able to just be able to enjoy yourself and focus in on other things going on in the room. And then when they do interact, you're like, mm-hmm, I see the show. I get it. Good one. A plus yeah. on that show today. Thank you. <laughs> you know, because right. they always put on a show during the holidays. They, they do. I'm going to just though say, like, if you like the holidays, anyone listening, feel free to not see people over Christmas, because that would ruin Christmas for me. And I love Christmas. I'm not even a Christian and I love Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it does. It, it, when you're not in that place yet, it, it does ruin it. I can't tell you how many Christmases have been <laughs> crying afterwards and right. horribly and ruined. And why? Because you probably also had your Christmases ruined when you were a kid, you know? Like, mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, for me, I witnessed my mom having hers ruined as a kid. So I see the cycle oh. perpetuate and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to break the cycle. I'm not going to let yeah. my Christmases be ruined. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's just boundaries. That's the way that we need to break that cycle is <clears throat> those boundaries. But, but I think that a lot of times when people talk about boundaries, they talk about them wrong. I, I mean, mm-hmm. I find, because I think a lot of times when we think about boundaries, we almost ne- like gravitate towards this vision of like that really loud, annoying guy who like, you just can't avoid. And like, he's telling you what you like, but a boundary isn't about you saying you need something. A boundary is if there is a consequence to the other person not doing it. And I think that that's where a lot of women get stuck is they're like, I told people my boundary and they're not doing it. And that's not the boundary. That is a statement. That is a request. 
The boundary <laughs> is when you make that request, the person is still a jerk and you literally walk away. Yeah, there has to be a consequence for it to actually be a boundary. If it's not, right. if there's no consequence, then it, you're just begging and they right. love that. So, and they don't do. Beg. Yes. <laughs> right. Because they're like, oh, yeah, tell me to not do that again. I'll do it again. And right. I love to get away with it. I didn't remember you telling me you didn't like that. Like, mm-hmm. oh <laughs> I yeah. mean, in my case, I really, the narcissist thing makes so much more sense because all of my boundaries, I'm starting to think this person had dementia, you know, because <laughs> they really act like I had never said something before. And like, yeah. and I, and it's like, oh, no, you don't have dementia. You're just, yeah, great. <laughs> <laughs> you're just doing what you want to do. And you're just, right. and, and then they might eventually end up blaming dementia. And you're like, nope, nope, nope. <laughs> you no. can't blame I that mean, guy. it could be because I do feel like trauma brings on dementia earlier and stuff too. So I, I think I, there have been studies. Yeah, I think yeah. so. That and sugar. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, yeah. everybody, go do Sudoku and learn a foreign language. <laughs> Sudoku, foreign language, and reduce your sugar. <laughs> and reduce your sugar. <laughs> That's what I work on. It runs in the family, so I'm always trying to do that. Yeah. Uh, so in this cycle, so we figure out how to stop chasing the love where it is non-existent, and you're focusing in on your inner strength, your inner love, your self-care and self-compassion. So how do we embrace, like, how do we, yeah, well, you, you'll answer, but how do we embrace our, um, our strengths that we can then rise up? So I think that what I would say on a normal podcast versus what I'm going to say on this podcast are two different things. Because <laughs> if a person is listening to this and they have been like literally truly abused, then the embracing your strengths almost certainly is going to need help from other people. Like it's, I think that like I can tell you to go do the clarity journal and I think the clarity journal can be helpful, but I think there is a layer, especially of that self-love component that people that are taught to self-love as children do differently than people who, you know, grow up with narcissists. And so I would say that a big part of this is finding your cheerleaders, finding the people that do think you're great. There's actually a really large, there's a chapter in the Clarity Journal all about like finding your cheerleaders and mentors, because Mm -hmm. I find that people, you know, really just get a friend group and don't really analyze whether it's working for them or not. And my guess is that people... (laughs) that have had narcissistic upbringings do that even worse. <laughs> so yeah, your friends are narcissistic also. Right. <laughs> or, just or just, or just like, you, like some of it's your own patterns, right? If you haven't been yeah. setting boundaries clearly, or if you've been allowing yourself, like if you make fun of yourself, I think probably mm-hmm. a lot of people that grew up with narcissists, not everybody, but a lot of them probably make fun of themselves kind of as like a way of diffusing situations and stuff. Totally self-deprecating. Yeah. Right. That's a better way of saying. Yep. And so I think that you're going to need a therapist. 
You're going to need a therapist that really sees your strengths. And if your therapist doesn't see your strengths, then if your therapist doesn't see how amazing you are, then maybe it's time for a different one, or maybe it's time to add a coach in with a ther- with therapists. Like I wouldn't say that you should just ditch a therapist and get a coach because therapists or coaches aren't really trained to deal with the actual trauma. Yeah. But you need your cheerleaders wherever that is. And and maybe it involves being really open and honest with your cheerleaders. Like I had this experience. I'm realizing I don't know what my own strengths are. What are they? But I will tell you, one of the key indicators for me about strengths, there's there's actually two key indicators. My first key indicator is if you are, if you have something that comes easy to you. Um, I find that when I am working with clients one-on-one, they'll be telling me a story. And at the end of the story, I'll say, hey, so let's really talk about this because I hear this a lot. This is a really great strength of yours. And almost invariably, they'll be like, huh? Like, I mean, yeah, I do it well, but strength? And it's because it's coming easy to them. And so they are not valuing it. And then the flip side of a way to see your strengths then is when you get annoyed at other people for not doing things you do well. (laughs) Um, Because I, once I start pointing those strengths out, and that they are strengths, that they don't come naturally to everybody, then I start getting like, oh, Fred is driving me crazy because X, Y, Z, he doesn't do what I do. And it's like, okay, well, let's talk about what Fred's strengths are, you know, and maybe Fred's just a complete jerk. But (laughs) a lot of times, if you're not also then dealing with like a narcissist, you know, a lot of times there are strengths that person has and they have weaknesses. And when you're in, especially a work environment, you really need a bunch of people with a very wide variety of strengths because that's what really helps create a cohesive unit. Yeah. So I guess those are my two ways of really doing it. But if you are not feeling strong enough to really embrace it, find the cheerleader that's going to help remind you. And kind of work on subtly trying to convince you. Mm-hmm. I love that. Absolutely. That's beautiful. Thank you. Well, this has been such an incredible conversation. I really appreciate you joining us on the show and sharing your wisdom. Yeah, this was a blast. I really, I enjoyed it. And I wasn't quite sure when I got on, like, how this was going to go. Because it's like, I when you emailed me, like, do you have experience with narcissistic abuse? And I was like, yeah, how, how open am I going to be about this? Right. So, how am I knock on wood, they don't listen to this podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing. So remember, everybody, always keep your unique light shining. Follow me at Raven Scott Show and DM me free gift to automatically get your free How to Draw Powerful Boundaries workshop straight into your DM and start healing yourself and taking back the power in your life today. See you next episode. If you are enjoying this podcast, subscribe and leave a rate and review.
On October 30th, I have the honor of speaking and leading a mini meditation at the Trauma to Triumph Summit, How to Overcome Narcissistic Abuse and Heal. This summit is hosted by the narcissist survivor and coach, one and only Zamira Davis. Our goal is to impact over 100,000 men and women to become completely free from narcissistic abuse. This summit features coaches, authors, spiritual teachers, along with two self-aware narcissists. So grab your complimentary ticket to attend the virtual summit on October 30th in the link in the show notes today. Madvi is helping people release emotional baggage, breaking negative patterns, and finding the root causes with the emotion and body code. Visit www.madvi.ca. That's M-A-D-H-V-I dot C-A. I can personally attest that this is an amazing way to heal trauma out that you can't do with meditation and thought therapy and talk therapy and all the things. So reach out to her and get a free 30-minute consultation to see if this is something that can help you. I feel so lost, never at home. Need to be strong, every breath hold. Cause I can't move on till I let go.